Tonight is January 4th, 2017. The title of tonight's message is Identity Theft. Identity Theft. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to jump right into the Word. No clever introductions. We're going to get in the Word and let the Word do what the Word does. Amen? We're going to let it do what it do. Amen. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's start there. Are you with me? I need to make sure that you're with me. Get your notebooks out. You got your pens out. We are ready to go here. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this. One day. Everybody say one day. day. Man, a lot can happen in one day. A lot can happen in one day. You ever had a great day? You know, the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and, you know, your favorite parking spot is there at the mall and, you know, I mean, whatever makes it a great day for you. Get to spend time with your family. Just a great day. Ever had one of those days, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When it seems like the most basic of tasks becomes almost insurmountable? Yeah. You ever had one of those days? Yeah. I have. Yeah, <laughs> or at least I've heard about them, right? One day, after Moses had grown up. <laughs> I love the Word of God. We're going we're gonna to cover some years in Moses' life here in the next few minutes. But they only take a few verses. Right? One day... When Moses had grown up. Oh, okay, thanks. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Um, Have you ever made a mistake when you've assessed a situation? Have you ever looked at a situation, you look to the left, you look to the right, thought... This is the perfect time to do this. I'm good. Today is the day. This is that one day. I'm going to do it right now. It's here. You, you summon all your strength and you go ahead and you do it. The next day. Everybody say the next day. Yeah, see, that's the problem with one day. There's always a next day. <laughs> if it was a great day. The problem with a great day is, you know what? There's the next day. You know know what the great thing about a terrible day is? The Lord gives us His mercies new every morning, like it says in Lamentations, right? There's the next day. The next day, He went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. Wow, lots of of things going on here, right? Monday, He sees people, uh, 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 an Egyptian abusing a, a Hebrew, so He goes out and literally kills the man. Next day, He sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong. What I'm trying to do is slow our reading down just a little bit tonight. We know this story. If you've been in Foundations, some of the most beautiful, amazing things that we've received out of this text. I'm just trying to slow it down and give us, I don't know, almost like it's an illusion that we're reading it for the first time. Right? He went out. He asked the one in the wrong. It was clear that one guy was right and one guy was wrong. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Verse 14. The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? Ever been exposed for a sin that you really thought you had gotten away with? Ever had that feeling just down in the bottom of your stomach? You thought everything was fine and someone calls you on the carpet for it? In a, in, a, in a big, tremendous way. You thought you had sailed. You thought you properly assessed what was going on. You looked both to the right and to the left, saw no one around, did what you did, and the next day, something comes up and lets you know that God did not miss what was going on. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. No doubt. Let's, take, let's keep our place here in Exodus. Let's all turn to Acts chapter 7. I want to examine this event just a little bit more. So we're going to take a look at it in the Newer Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 7. And we're going to start off in verse 23. Say there when you are there. there. Acts chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 23. 
when Moses was 40 years old. So this is Stephen recapping the history of the Israelites. He gives us some different information than what we found in Exodus chapter 2. Same story. We get, now we know that he wasn't just grown up. He was 40 years old. I am 42 years old. So we're saying my age. The story takes place when he's about my age, right? He decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptians. Now, wait a minute. In Exodus, it's almost like your neighbor's telling the story, right? You get details. Stephen is looking back almost, uh, I don't know, you got some random person that's telling a story. It's usually a little bit different, like say it's like my wife telling a story about me. Hopefully she, uh, she's engendered to me enough that, that she hides some of the faults, that she, that she paints it in the best light possible because she knows my heart. Stephen says, so he went to his defense and avenged him. That word avenging makes it sound like there's some nobility to what happened. Yes? Do you agree with that? So, so we're getting a different, it's the same story, but we're just kind of, we're kind of starting to walk around the details on this story. <laughs> Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. All right. So we get one day. Everybody say one day. One day. So you've got Moses that goes out and one day decides, after he's grown up, 40 years old, Decides that he's going to handle something, a situation that he needs to handle. You know, because we know the end of this story. We know lots of things that have gone on. We see Moses here, and in Exodus chapter 2, you know what he starts off trying to do? (laughs) He starts trying to liberate his people. He starts this effort, and he's going to liberate the people, because you know why? Because that's what he's supposed to do. That is exactly what he's supposed to do. But he has this thing. uh, And the truth is, is did he actually liberate anybody? The slave that was getting beaten by the Egyptian. Did did he become not a slave after after Moses got done? The truth is, is that slave probably got beat worse the next day. Because whatever Egyptian he killed, his brother came along and, and, and probably let that slave know about it. So he's coming along... And Moses here in Acts chapter 7, the reason I wanted to turn here is because it makes a lot of, it, it, it reminded me of my own life. Maybe it'll remind you of yours tonight. What did it say in verse 25? Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Have you ever needed someone else to recognize something about you? Have you ever felt the need to... Uh, Tell people what you accomplished? I have. Some of y'all are awful quiet, and that's okay. Maybe you're just thinking already. Maybe you're thinking about the many times. If you're like me, as a matter of fact, one of the things that made me, uh, one of the things that my wife and her father actually disliked about me greatly when they first met me. My father-in-law, when I, you know, I've known him since I was about 12. When I was about 15 or so, my father-in-law didn't like me at all because I was so insecure that I had to tell you everything that was remotely decent that I did because I needed you to realize that God was using me to do something. So I had to tell you, hey, guess what happened? Guess what happened today? Guess what I did? Does that, it, it reminds me, even though just the way that I said that, that rhythm, it reminds me of little kids, right? Look what I could do. Look what I could do. Look at me. Yes, yes, sweet little child. Thank you. That is wonderful. It's a little bit different when you were, when you're 15, like I was, and saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I just uh, did this in school, and I uh, just won this award." Everybody, I just want to tell you all that I won this award. Yeah, nobody cared. Nobody cared. You know what? I did. I was insecure. I was frail. I needed someone else to affirm me. Please love me. It's really what I was saying. Please make me not feel like I'm out here all by myself. Would someone please pat me on the back or something? So I went around for years doing that. And my father-in-law let me know how much he didn't like that about me. <laughs> Sweet old Bob. It's like, yeah. Now, he, didn't, he, he told me this much later. You know. 
boy, when you were a kid, I didn't like you at all. <laughs> Thanks, Pop. <laughs> I appreciate that. Moses thought that his own people would realize. What about you? Do you go around and you think, God, you know what? I'm going to do this. This is the one day that I'm going to go out and do an action. You know what? Everybody's going to realize that I am the called. (laughs) You know why? Because it's in our human nature to do that. The reason that we um, are blatant about people who drive around in vehicles that are far too expensive with the bishop as the license plate or most righteous, you know, venerable reverend. I don't know how they're just, they put up signs on their vehicles with a picture of their face. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of someone saying, I'm trying to get you all to realize that I am something. But it rings so hollow within my heart because I've been that way. I was a child. I I didn't understand. I was becoming a young man and and didn't have that about me. I was so insecure that I had to seek and I had to ask you to validate me. What about now? (coughs) Have those areas in your life where you're actually, you say it's one thing. I mean, I just want to share a testimony, brother. I mean, I'm I'm just sharing of the goodness of the Lord. Because you can say that with your mouth. You can even phrase it correctly as it comes out of your mouth. And your heart dying for someone to notice that you're worth more than what you think you are. The issue isn't what everybody else thinks you are. The issue, truthfully, is what you think you are. You don't have an understanding of your identity, and so you're, you're trying to get someone else to validate that. Is this true or not? To our youth, I promise you, one of the things I actually like the most about working with high school kids for as long as I did is because I understood they had no clue who they were. Very, very few. What they were trying to do is they were trying to experiment and try to find these things out. We're going to talk tonight because these guys are going to have an understanding of who they are in Christ. Amen? That's going to change. That changes their trajectory. That changes what they do. That changes them because then we don't treat them like something else. We don't treat them as lower. We say, we're expecting you to be godly now. We're expecting you not to cry out in your heart to show everybody else what you can do. Because you've got a God who's made you for a purpose. Let's take a look back in Acts chapter 7. Verse 25. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. You know what the problem is? Is if you're always looking for someone else to rescue you. For someone else to notice that you're the rescuer. There is never enough affirmation that we could give if you don't already know it. As a pastor... There is no amount of affirmation that I, that we, that the entire leadership team collectively can pour into you if you're always looking for someone else to validate you. We cannot. It is beyond our means. No matter how good we are, no matter how powerful this church is, the truth is, is that you can sit there and if you, until you answer this question, until you understand who God has called you to be, then there's no amount of affirmation we can give you. There's no amount of praise. There's no amount of attention. There's no amount of, of, of pumping you up. There's no amount that we can give you because you are seeking and looking to us to do something that only God can do in you. That was better than what y'all responded. It's okay. I love you. It's all right. We know this when, when someone is in a dating relationship. If they're looking for a... Uh, someone that they're dating to affirm them, you know that that, that relationship is set on bad footing. You, we know it conceptually when, when, we have to have, when we have a husband and a wife that are getting together and they're looking to each other instead of looking to God for who they really are, they will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Can you be satisfied today? Let's take it out of, let's take it out of just, kind of just, just that phrase. Can you be satisfied? Because if you can't be satisfied, then you don't know who you are. You don't understand yet your identity. You know catchphrases? No, oh, brother, I know who I am. I'm a, I'm a child of the king. Well, amen. You know what I know as a pastor? You don't, if you actually thought and believed that you were a child of the king, 
you would act like royalty. If you really understood that he is the king of kings and he's coming back for those of us who are going to be in a priestly, godly, king-like manner, we wouldn't have the struggles that we have. We would have better direction in our lives. Lord, show us direction for our family. Yeah, that's exactly what we're, we're covering here. Look at verse 26. The next day Moses came in, uh, upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside. Have you ever felt like you've just been pushed aside? I mean, you thought you had it going on and you said the right thing and you stepped up and literally people just went and pushed you aside. I felt like that. I've literally had people do that to be like, well, no, just, no. Just wave you off. Seriously, has anybody ever just been waved off before? Like, no. I've been waved off before. Hey, I... You want to go crawl under a rock somewhere. Those of you that haven't, would you like to be? (laughs) because you will be that's the point verse 27 but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside was Moses actually called to lead his people out of Egypt was Moses called to be one of the greatest leaders that this world has ever seen I want to be careful tonight I do not want to present Moses in a negative light at all what I'm using this is as a framework for us to examine our hearts I'm, looking, I'm, I'm trying to get us to examine, do I really know who I am? Because some of the prayers that we pray with people, you know what it really comes down to? If I, if I back up and look at it from a global perspective, what I'm hearing people say is, I don't really get my part in the plan. I understand that God has a plan. Yes, amen, he is good. His ways are perfect. I understand that some people have a calling and anointing. I'm glad for them. But really what I'm saying is I don't understand my part in this thing at all. I don't really know my own identity. It's like a spiritual amnesia sets in on us. We forget, yes, I'm a child of God, but we don't know what that means. It's a concept that we say in here and can amen, but when we walk out the doors, we don't live the same way. We don't live like it. Verse Back to 27. But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You know what the ironic thing about that is? He is their ruler and judge. You know what the enemy is always going to try to make you back down from? Exactly what you were created to do. So Moses comes over here, and we can can argue that, that, that he did this in his own strength. Stephen says he avenged someone, so there's a little bit of, of, of answer there. But he did something, but he started on a wrong end of a perspective. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 11. You know what Hebrews chapter 11 is going to t- tell us about? The exact same story. There. Hebrews chapter 11, and let's start in verse 24. There. Did you realize that this part of the story was so important? Did you realize that it bounced through? the Newer Testament like it does in very, very key portions of Scripture. Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith. Everybody say, by faith. faith. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So I said that Exodus 2 was kind of like a neighbor or a random person that tells you a story, an eyewitness. Acts 7 kind of gives it to us like a spouse would. You, You know that their heart was was right. Actions may have been off, but we're going to defend their heart. Do you know what this does? This, in, in Hebrews, you can think about it like your mom telling the story. It, it's, it's like your mom, and she's looking back on your life and going, he was always such a perfect kid. This is the writer of Hebrews. <laughs> can a mother forget a child at her? Um, well, if that's not your mom, then we'll just go with the stereotypical mom of what a mom should be. So, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, 
refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know what this introduces in this story? His motivation, why he left wherever he was and went out and watched the people at labor, saw a conflict, and was moved in his heart to go and try to fix the problem. See, Moses was called to be the Savior, if you'll allow me to use that word. He's, he is the liberator of Israel. We see it here. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Next verse. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He is there and deciding, you know what? At 40 years old, I've got to make this decision. Am I going to keep living in a palace or am I going to go out where my people are and I know that they're my people? Hebrews says, by faith, Moses did these things. Let me encourage you, if you have struggled and failed, you've had that one day and it wasn't the day that you wanted. Let me encourage you that if you keep going and, and really learn who you are, you know what it's going to look like at the end of your life? By faith. Amen. By faith, they stepped forward and they did it. Oh, they had some terrible times. Boy, they, fall, they fell flat on their face. But you know what they did? By faith, they persevered and kept going. This is what we're getting a glimpse into this story here. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Is this making sense to you? Yes. Let's go to verse 14. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. Everybody say afraid. afraid. Most of the mistakes that we make as believers, most of the mistakes that we make as human beings is because we're afraid. Let me, let me expand that just for a second. Either because we're afraid or because we're guilty. We're either walking in sin and covered in shame or we're just afraid that we're not going to be able to do what we're supposed to do. I can assure you that the pastors, that the elders in this church... If we can encourage you in one very simple thing at the beginning of this year, stop acting in fear. Oh, brother, I'm, I'm not afraid. Yes, you are. I, I can look at your actions and I can tell. Parents, I can look at how you're raising your kids and I can see which ones are real fears that you have. Husbands, I can see the fears that you have when you're leading or not leading your wives. Wives, I can see the fears that you have when you're following or not following your husband. It's as plain as when you pick up a book and read it. Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, this did not go without Pharaoh knowing about it. He tried to kill Moses. Huh, I wonder what that was like. You ever had such a mistake that, in this case, they were literally trying to kill Moses? This is not a euphemism. This is not a, a, a statement that they took and exaggerated. Apparently, Pharaoh was actually trying to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Everybody say, oh, well. Oh, well. He sat down by a well. The one who would be the liberator of an entire nation of people. The one who would go up on a mountain and talk face to face with God. He was afraid and fled to an entirely different land and sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses. Everybody say, but Moses. But Moses. Mm -hmm. Got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. I don't have time to get into the watered their flock part tonight. I, that struck me this afternoon. That'll have to come at a different time. But what I want to show you is that we have Exodus 2. Earlier we have him dealing with a nation. <laughs> we have attempt number two. Right? What was attempt number one was murder. Off to a great start, right? 
Attempt number one was murder. Attempt number two, what did he do? He rescued seven daughters who were taking care of some sheep. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up. Everybody say, got up. Got up. Got to get up. And came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian, an Egyptian, that's not who he is. Maybe been where he was raised. That's not who he is. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you, why did you leave him? Invite him to eat, have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. You know what this does? This leads us into the next 40 years of Moses' life. Attempt number two, he goes out, he gets married to Zipporah, and he builds a family. He has a couple of kids. 40 more years. 40 more years. Uh, Acts 7 gives us the, the timings on these, that we can see them. So let me ask you this. Is, is Moses just overly confrontational? He's, he's in Egypt, and he, he has a problem. He sees a problem, he goes and literally creates a fight. And at 40 years old, I don't know how he does it, but he kills the guy. Everybody hears about it. He leaves. He goes, sits down by a well. Just so happens that at that well, there are people gathering water for their flocks. He sees another injustice. What does he do? He gets up, and he takes care of however many shepherds are there. It says shepherds. It's plural. So whatever Moses did, he took care of all of that business that was going on in front of him. Is, is Moses, is he just overly confrontational? He does not play well with others, right? That was number three on most report cards, by the way. Has problems with authority, right? None of us in here would know anything about that, right? All right, Frank, none of that. No, none of us, right? You know, the, the problem with these things is, is Moses, we know Moses was called. It, it, there's no surprise at the end of the story. You know exactly what's going to happen. But what happens is we see him get things in an interesting order. Hey, man, I'm called. I know it. I've been trained. I am a man of, of wisdom and power. Dude walked around and carried authority wherever he went. Newer Testament tells us that very plainly. I, I have a right to do what I'm doing. I'm entitled to do this. But he starts off with a big part of the call. He starts off with a global thing here that I'm just going to jump right on into it. I am 40 years old after all. Let me just jump right to it. But, but what is happening here? We see 40 years of that. We see 40 years out in the desert being a shepherd, just working on getting his family right. And the truth is that some of the things and some of the commentaries you read about the family as he's transitioning from the family portion of his life to a different portion, you know what actually happens? There's some things that you could read as struggling in his own family life. Let's take a look back in uh, Exodus. Now let's, let's go to chapter 3. So, so either Moses is overly confrontational or he is called and doesn't understand the timing and the way that God is going to use him in his calling. You know, when I talked about fear earlier, let's, let's use the word that we often use instead of fear. Because fear, there are lots of scriptures in the Bible about fear and how it's not supposed to be a part of our lives. And that perfect love casts out our fear. And there's lots of things about that. So we, you know what word we like to, to use more is insecurity. Brother, I just have an insecurity about that. Oh, you're afraid. Well, I mean, that's... Don't say that. It makes me insecure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens when you allow fear and insecurity to work on you? Insecurity veils your purpose. Your insecurity veils your purpose. Um, here, here's, let, me, let me try to work through this with us for just a second. If Moses would have listened to the idea and thought, you know what? 
geez, maybe I am overly confrontational. I mean, some might even call him an alpha male or something. And, and so you have people, if, the, if he only listened to that, you know what happens? He actually runs away from his purpose in God because he doesn't want to be labeled. Really, a label. Have you ever had somebody label you something that actually damaged your heart? You're this. I had a, a mentor of mine early in life sat there to my face. You are not worthy to be a pastor. You will never be a pastor. You are not capable of doing this. As a matter of fact, you are, you're, um, uh, what, how, how did he say? You're compromising the very baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what to say. I was 21 years old. How dare you think? You think you can be a pastor? This was the conversation. You think you can be a pastor? I don't, I don't know whether I think I can or not. I just think I'm called to it. And, and I'm weak and I'm frail and I do a lot of things wrong. If you allowed someone to label you, if we would have labeled Moses as being overly confrontational, you know what he wouldn't have done? he wouldn't have got to the point where he could have confronted the Pharaoh in Egypt. If you're a parent, had a good conversation with some friends last night. If you're a parent and you were mistreated as a parent, you know what we do? You know what you do if you're not careful? You're afraid when your kid is just like you, you're afraid that what's going to happen to you, what happened to you is going to happen to them. I was rejected as a kid, whatever the story may go in your head. So I don't want this one, this one, this one in my children is going to be the one that could be, they're just like me. I, I have empathy for them. I have sympathy for them. And I'm afraid that they're going to be rejected just like me. So you know what? You know what you do? Because you're afraid and you don't let the identity of Christ direct your steps. You start saying things like, did they leave you out, baby? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I was fine. In Are you okay? Did they hurt your feelings? I, I don't... Should I? Should I feel that way, Mom? Should I feel that way, Dad? And you know what you do? Because you're afraid, you teach your child. You actually train them on how to be abused. You actually train them on how to be to feel like they were left out. You, 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 you and I train them to be the broken mess that we're trying to keep them away from. Um, uh, I hope this is right. Proverbs 10, 24, would you put that on the screen? <clears throat> Dramatic pause, it's okay. Now, now you're paying attention to it. What the wicked dreads will overtake them but what the righteous desire will be granted. If you walk around in fear, you can actually teach your child how to be victimized by what you're afraid of. That is so true. This is a deep moment here. <laughs> I hope that you are connecting with this properly. You know what you can do if you're a husband and a wife? You know how this works for you? Is... Husband, let's just say you weren't always a great human being and you've made mistakes. You know what you do? You start saying, well, because I've, I have flaws in my own life, I can't really lead her well because, I mean, you know, who am I to do such things? And so what you do is you do a poor job of leading and so what you are afraid of happening in your wife happens in your wife because you're not leading her in the right direction. This is truth for you tonight. Wives, you feel insecure about your own life. Good God, our world is... Do you realize that the fear that the enemy tries to do, is it's everywhere. We know it, but we don't understand because it's constant. We know that our media pushes women. You never have the right body. You're never perfect enough. No matter what you are, it's never enough. 
I've, I've been around people long enough. I don't think there's one single woman who has been a mother who has not had the thought at some point, oh my God, I'm doing a terrible job. I'm a terrible mom. <laughs> Why do you feel that way? Because you're afraid and you're insecure. How in the world? Is your child alive? Are they happy and healthy? Are they, are they laughing? Are, are they, do they love you? Do they come up and snuggle with you? Yes. Then you're doing a great job as a mom. What the world is trying to say is, ah, but they cried in public. They cried in public. They cried in public for a whole 35 seconds. Come on, guys. Are you with me or not? Yeah, this is a good word, Pastor. Because whatever, I, I, put a, I put a ridiculous time limit on it, right? I, I'm using hyperbole there. Whatever the time limit in your head, maybe 30 seconds is okay, but once it, there's an inner clock that just goes off. And you're like, okay, we're fine. Okay, the stress is going up. I'm getting red splotches on my neck now because um, the baby's been crying too long and, and I, can't, I can't figure out how to stop the baby from crying. Oh, my God. I'll, I'm food and... I will give you a million dollars. Please stop. <laughs> I will give you up to half the kingdom. Please just be quiet. Why? In that moment, are you actually worried about your child? We're really not, are we? You're really worried that everyone else is going to think you are a horrible human being. You horrible human being, you. It's true. It's true. If you are here as a mother, you have felt, oh my God, I'm a terrible mom. My wife and I kid around with it now. We're like parent of the year. We, just, we, we give each other a fictitious parent of the year and we hand each other a fake trophy. We're just like, well, that was terrible. Amen. We'll try it again. They're still alive. We'll just do it again tomorrow. Take two. Amen. Ella, you're a great mom. You're a great mom. <laughs> right on cue. You know what we should do? Instead of acting in fears, we should act in faith. What does faith act like? Faith reminds us that we, as, as husbands in the home, we're standing... I don't want you to miss this. We, as husbands in the home, are standing in the place we are representing the God of creation to our wives. That means even if I am flawed, the standard is still right and we're still going to go towards this standard. But you did... I'm not even disagreeing with you. I don't have to be perfect, but what I am is I have an authority because God has given it to me. And I will have faith that His authority and what He says about me and He says about the place that I have in my own home is right. There's no one better suited to pray for a family than the husband in the family. You lay hands on your kids when they're sick and they will recover. Because yes. you're the dad. Moms, same thing for you. There's no one better equipped to pray for a child than a mother. You get a mother and a father together praying for them, there's nothing better than that. You know why? Because you have to quit living in fear. And you have to live in faith. What the wicked dread will overtake them. The problem with fears is it causes, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel like a terrible mom, so I don't really, I don't really get in the Word. I, I have all these things, and it just spirals right out of control. And you know where you end up? Right where you were most afraid that you would end up. What, what if you're a single person here today? I'm, while I'm just picking on people, I'm going to pick on everybody. Let me encourage you. The fear that you're going to be by yourself for the rest of your life is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. You can choose to believe it. You can choose to walk in that because that you think that that fear is true. I'm not. I have enough faith for all of us in this room. I do. God can do things in you. You know why? Not only did it happen in my life, I look at people like Nolan and Tara, and I'm like, dude, if they can get married, look, 
Ain't, nobody is, is too far. Nobody is, 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 is doomed to be by themselves. But you know what? If you let that fear happen to you and you're single, you know what happens? While I'm, while I'm at it, you start acting weird. I love you. I'm your pastor. You act weird and you put off this weird vibe that nobody wants to be around. When we act in fear, hey, youth, you know what? This applies to you guys, too. When you're worried that you're going to get left out of something, you know what you do? You act in a way that people want to leave you out. And you know what causes it? It's not because you're not glorious and wonderful. It's because you're afraid and you are so act. no matter how cool you think you are. You're like, I'm really nervous, but I'm really suave, too. I'll get past it. Everybody knows. Let's just make an agreement. We'll make a pact. We'll thumb wrestle something. We'll high-five each other and be like, yeah, we all know you're afraid. It's just hard to say because, uh, as, especially as young people, and the truth is, it's everybody. We don't want to actually just look at somebody and say, hey, you're acting in fear. Quit being a weirdo. If I turn to your neighbor and just say, quit being a weirdo. So you're going to let fear rule you or not? Because if you do, what I'm trying to do is point out the areas that you may... Now, let's be real. I'm trying to point out areas that many of us in the room are operating in fear. And it's creating the problem that we're trying to avoid. Dear God, when you operate in faith, when you say, you know what? I feel this way. And I choose to act this way. (laughs) I am nervous that I will never, ever have anyone who will love me. That is a fear. It feels real. It's the loudest thing in my head. It's it's, It's what I wake up to. It's what I go to bed to. It's what I have nightmares about. If you keep doing that, instead of stepping over and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. If you stay in this fear, that's what makes you be by yourself. I want you to be liberated from the ploy of the enemy. We're not unaware of his schemes. This is humanity, folks. This this is the way that it works. What the wicked dread overtake them. And maybe you're going, hey, pastor, you know, I mean, I love the Lord. But those are wicked thoughts. You're, 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 you're giving yourself over to wickedness when you allow fear to rule you. That's a good word, Pastor. Acts chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> what a great chapter, Exodus chapter 3, right? Goodness gracious. What's happened? This is 40 years later. Moses is 80 years old. 80. You think that your life is gone and you're about, to, you're about to run out of time? That's a lie. That's fear. Stop acting that way. That's stupid. I love you, but that's stupid. Really. You're 40 years old. Calm down. Especially if you're in your 20s. I just don't want to hear it. I will literally slap you if you say that to me. Right across the face. Moses is 80. He sees. He sees something that's unique. God calls to him. He has a bush that's set on fire, but it's not consumed. What a great picture. Pastor, when you spoke on that in, in Foundations, that idea of, a, of something that's on fire but not consumed, goodness gracious, that can preach all day. He goes through, God calls to him, Moses, Moses. Very few people in the Bible that God actually said their name twice like that. 
think it's somewhere around seven people, but I, I don't remember. Hey, Moses, this is a special day. This is another one of those days. One day, while he was tending flock, God comes and visits him. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. God shows his concern for them. He begins to unravel his plan to him. Now look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Moses had an identity issue here. Who am I? Who am I? I, I named my kids that I've I, grown up in this, I, I'm a foreigner, I'm an alien in, the, in this land. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Have you ever asked that? Who am I? Goodness gracious, who am I to do this? And God said, I will be with you. You notice how God doesn't answer that? Who am I? Yeah, I'm going to be with you. Uh, yeah, but see, what, Lord, I asked who I was. Yeah, I'm going to be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. We're going to start off here. We're going to end here. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? I mean, so, you know, God, uh, who am I? All right, so you're not going to answer that question. So uh, who do I tell them you are? Who are you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You know what happens is we get this. God finally comes along. And Moses has an understanding now of what his life is all about. He tried to start from a nation and failed. Spent 40 years trying to build a family and had to work through that. And then one day, there are a lot of next days after this, or 40 more years of next days after this, but one day he had a clarity and understanding of what God had put him on the planet for. You know why? Because he had a clear understanding of who God was. Amen. Lord, who am I? You don't worry about that. I'm going to be with you. Lord, who are you? Yeah, I am. Whoa. Come on. If some of us would understand this right there, I could stop. I could stop. Lord, we need you to tell us who we are. Here's, here's an example of someone who didn't do it the same way. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Take a look at verse 12. Interesting chapter. The title in my Bible says, Saul's Jealousy of David. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Turn over to verse 15. When Saul saw how successful David was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. In verse 17, Saul's promising the hand of one of his daughters, his oldest daughter, Merab. Look at verse 18. But David said to who? Who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? You know where we get in trouble? is when we start asking people who we are. 
David is asking Saul, and he's going, hey, hey, who am I to do such, to be your son-in-law? But you know what Saul was doing? Saul was trying to abuse David. At the beginning of the chapter is where we see that Saul gets so possessed. He's throwing spears at David. A few verses before this. And now David is turning around and going, who am I, King Saul? We always get in trouble when we look to man to define who we are instead of look to God. You will always get in trouble. Saul is actually trying to confine David. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't give David this daughter to be married. The Bible says that when the time came, he actually gave that daughter to another. And then he found out that Michael was in love with David. And Saul thought, you know, this is great. I can go at him for round two. And I'll give him Michael because I think that Michael will be a snare to David. Read it in the chapter. He thought that he could ensnare David by giving him a daughter. So he asked for a ridiculous dowry, a, di- a ridiculous price for his bride. You know what David did? He was asking, he was asking the wrong questions, but he was coming to the right answers. He said, I won't just give that ridiculous amount. I'm going to give you twice what you asked for. Guys, you have to understand when you're you're asking for others to help define you, they're never going to define you properly. They're always going to have ulterior motives. You know why I was a good employee? Because I had something to offer the company. Whatever company I was with. You know why I found favor in the larger churches in, in, in this world because I had something to offer that they liked. They were trying to define me. You know, one of the best things that I learned working for a big church, that they don't define me at all. That was the revelation that I got while I was working in the big church. You want me to be an administrator only. I'm a pastor My heart bleeds for people. I want to see them set free and liberated. I care for people. I can't not care for people. There's nothing in me that wants to ignore you. It's difficult for me to do that. I mean, I have to work at it. Random, right? Now, I know exactly what I'm called to be. They were trying to tell me that I was something else. They were trying to tell me, they were trying to take one aspect of my life and make it all that I was about. That's what the world always does. It'll take one thing that you can do and make, try to make you think that that's all that you can do. Let's take a look in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Verse 16. Oops, I'm in 2 Chronicles, sorry. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Verse 16. Then David went in and sat before Yahweh. And he said, Who am I? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of neat to me that when I looked up the phrase, Who am I? I found Moses in Exodus. I found David talking to Saul and the prophets. And I found David talking to the Lord in the writings. See, what happened in David's life, we had Moses that started here and had to come to a revelation that it's about a singular life and what God has called you to do. That then you could build a family, that then you can reach and liberate a nation. But you know what David did? David got an understanding of who he was and then built a family and then became one of the great, he became the greatest king that the nation had ever seen. One was starting with a birth of a nation. One was starting a rebirth of a nation. 
look, <laughs> you know, you can argue why. I, I'm not trying to set these men in opposition. What I'm trying to say is, are you like Moses tonight? Do you have a great big old picture of what God wants you to do, but your family isn't in order and you really can't work out the most basic things in yourself? Man, I'm called to great things. I am called to reach the nations, nations, nations. Good. Amen. You got to build it. One life, one family, one nation. I'm not doing that because it's an advertisement to our slogan as a church. I'm doing that because this is the blueprint for you. Are you the one that's going, oh, well, I mean, God can never really use me. Do you, do you see how this is really just us? I'm destined for greatness, but can't tie my shoes. Well, praise God, you ought to get on it. Well, I'd just rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord. Praise God. No, you need to develop this life so that you can build the right kind of family, the right kind of household, so that you can go and reach the nation that Christ puts you in. This is not an either or. I'm just trying to ask you to evaluate where you are in this process. Which one are you? Are you Moses? While I'm meddling tonight, let me just meddle just a little bit more. Here's one way to tell if you're Moses on my scale here. You've got great plans, you've got great ideas, but you're all over the place. You never finished the last thing that you said you were going to do before you feel like God has shown you this other great plan. How about for you, for the Moseses in the room? This is all I want you to focus on. You focus and get this right. You focus and get this right. That'll take care of itself. I need you to quit focusing on that because it's messing you up. You have no foundation. You know why it's hard for your wife to follow you? Because you don't have these things in order. You, you can't keep a job. You can't, you've got to build these things. You've got to let the Lord build you up. These are the people who prepare for 30 years and never go anywhere. They're always preparing. They're always working. They're always, I feel like the Lord has called me. I'm just not quite sure. Come on, man. You need to, keep, you need to pick up your eyes because you are a worker in the harvest field. You need to go out and work. But pastor, you're, you're, you're being duplicitous. No, I'm not. I'm just talking to people who are in the room. This is the right pattern. I don't care where you start from. Yeah. Amen. Maybe you started here. Well, fine. You know where you have to get? Here, which builds this, which allows you to go there. Amen. That is the pattern. This is the only way to do it. You know, Moses actually kind of did one of these. You can end up in the same place. You can end up where you need to. You could argue that David's here and starts in the right place because he has people like Samuel in his life. He has advisors in his life. He has people speaking into him and say, David, you are that man. Maybe Moses was out there too. By the time that his father-in-law gets there and says, hey, what you're doing is not right. It's part of what helps him turn the corner. Yeah. He, he has to have this burning bush experience before he can start with some of these things. Guys, how are we doing tonight? How are you doing tonight? How are you doing walking out your calling? Are you crystal clear in your identity? Because if you are, then your life is going to be on this trajectory. There's no other way for your life to be if you're hanging out and you're circling in one area and you're trying to keep working on this and we're just kind of working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it, you need, to, you need to get this right so we can build and let the Lord move on you. If you're saying, man, there's great things, there's great things, I'm going to the universe and the whole world and, and it's great. Put food on the table. Tie your shoes. Keep your checkbook balanced. I, I mean, well, pastor, that's not, 
I'm just saying you're not, you're not accomplishing the little things and you're wanting to reach the world. Amen. I get it. Moses was the same way. <laughs> I'm not even belittling you. I'm saying this is the right path. This is where you must go. Are you making commitments and can't keep them? Either don't make the commitment or to your own hurt, keep the commitment. Amen. Either be smart enough not to get yourself in trouble with what you say or do what you said even if it, or die a try. Is this making any sense to anybody tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Susan, I just want you to, we'll put up a, a few scriptures on the screen. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. We have not received the spirit of the world. In other words, we don't need to go ask Saul who we are. We don't need to look to a worldly system to determine who we are. But the spirit who is from God, that we may understand. Everybody say understand. Understand. What God has freely given to us. You can understand what God has freely given to you. If you're walking around in a fog, then you have not yet made this verse applicable to your own life. What we're doing tonight is we're removing some of the fog. We're punching fear right in its face and we're saying we're going to be people who operate in our calling because God has made us something and so we can be secure in that. We can look at 1 Corinthians 12, and you can see what it's like to be a part of the body, that God puts us in the body as he sees fit. I don't have to have comparison like Galatians 6 says. You know why I don't have to compare myself to someone else? Because we're not occupying the same space. We're on the same team, man. Amen. Amen. I don't have to fight against you. We're on the same team. I want to encourage you. But you can't encourage someone else if you're always insecure. You can't encourage someone else if you're fearful because you're not sure if that's the piece of the pie you're supposed to be going after. We're not going after pie. We're going after his will. We're going after lives and families and nations. There's plenty of work for us all to do. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to verse maybe 9. Let's go to 8. Sorry. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. One more. For we are God's workmanship. Everybody say, I am God's workmanship. I am workmanship. It's amazing when you say we, you're like, hey, you can think what you want. And if you're insecure, you know what you do when you say we are God's workmanship? You think, yep, they are God's workmanship. That's what fear causes you to do. So if you just said that and didn't really think about yourself, but you thought about everybody else, that's part of fear working on you. I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9-ish. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with what? The knowledge of His will a clear identity for you. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Next verse. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You know what happens when we don't walk in our identity? You live a life that's not worthy of the Lord. That we can live a life that's worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. You know what you don't have when you're fighting to figure out who you are? You don't have any endurance. Am I speaking truth or not? When I remember who I am, I have, I, there is not a burnout problem that I'll ever have in my life. There's not compassion fatigue that sets in. Man, I was created to do this. I can literally do this in my sleep. I do this without trying. You know why? Because it's who I'm made to be. He has stamped himself on my soul. He has formed me. I, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. One more thing on this idea. By the way, for those of you who are in this phase right here, don't ever think that this isn't part of the trajectory. 
don't think that family is really somewhere over here and then you really get to the ministry stuff. That's ridiculous. It is ministry. When you stop and pray with your wife, that is ministry. Don't make it more glorious because you're insecure, so you need to go out and show someone that you can do it, so you're going to find somebody on the street. Yes, do that as well. Stop and pray for your kids. Stop and share scripture with your wife. Stop and encourage a friend. If you don't have a family, if you're here and you're by yourself, this becomes your family. I'm not only talking to husbands and wives here. I'm talking, I'm talking to everybody in this room. This is your family. Do for your family as if it were in this progression, because it is. With great endurance and joyfully, one more verse, patience and joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. There's so many more things that I could say. But as simple as this scratch on the board is, where are you tonight? Are you clear on your call? <laughs> Can you stand up? Not just, re- not just repeat, not only be able to repeat a mezuzah statement to me, but you can show me that you're living it out every single day, that your decisions are based on God, what God has made you to be, that you're punching fear in the face every single day. You're putting it down. You're not letting your emotions get into You're not letting your thoughts overtake you. You are walking exactly the way God has for you to. You're progressing from your life to a family, to the nations. How are you doing? How are you doing? He is too good of a God for us to keep falling into the same pitfalls that we have for years. I used to call it taking another lap around the mountain. I didn't know how to say it. 40 years just going around in circles in the desert. For some of you, today today needs to be that one day where you find your identity. You know how I'll know? Because the next day will look different. And the next day, will look different. And you'll put enough next days in there that you'll watch your life blossom into a family that conquers nations. Would you stand to your feet with me? My prayer for you tonight is this. That you will understand who you are. When you understand who you are, you don't have to fret about all the things that you're not. 